Hello, I'm James Batchelor. I'm Dan Pearson. And you're listening to the GamesIntry.biz podcast. And we know nothing about football. That's kind of important to clarify from the word go. And probably not great because we have uh, with us the very one and only uh, Mars Jacobson. Hello. Thankfully, I do know about football. Yes, but, it's kind but, of useful in your job, isn't it? But we are going to talk about games development more than football, I think, today. So, we would, so we, we should, would be more comfortable with this as well. We so, should yes. be okay with that. Intrinsically linked, though, in, in your case, I think. You know, it's a... Yeah, I mean, it's, there are often debates in the office on whether we are a games company or a football business mm-hmm. with Football Manager, because not only do we make games, now we also do sell our data to football clubs. Yep. And um, I think we're probably more accepted by the football industry <laughs> in many cases than the games industry. So Yeah, I think I'd like both. to come back to that later, actually, because I think that, that data side of things and uh, you know the fact that you're... The games are used by players and people wanting to simulate bets and you know managers looking for for new buys and to test out you know formations and that kind of stuff. Look at all these technical terms I'm using. It's good, isn't it? It's good, yeah. very good. Um, literally, you know, no idea what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll, we'll come back to like I think that's a really interesting aspect of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd quite like to start talking about um, the audience you've got. You've got a, an incredibly uh, loyal audience. You know, you, you you have incredibly solid sales every single year. You don't tend to get ups and downs. Um, you know, certainly not fluctuations in the same as other series do. You you knock it out of the park every single year. Uh, you know, you can't just miss a year either. You know, to say well. We haven't done it this year. We'll have to wait. We're going to do a, a super edition, you know, next year or something. You have to do it every year. It has to be spot on. Uh, everyone expects it, and you know, you can't, you can't drop the ball. I'm mixing my sports metaphors. At the <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a lot of pressure, especially. I mean, for for one game studio to know that every single time you have to do it, it has to be as good or better than the last. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> say, saying like that's weird. We we make the game for us. Hmm. So, you know, Football Manager is a game that we love to play. Um, and it helps that the majority of the people working on it are big fans of the game as well. Um, so we all want to make it better every year. Um, the biggest insult that people can really give us is to accuse us of complacency, which we get from time to time. But the the game is so big now as well with the amount of modes and, and people don't realise, a lot of people don't realise how many game modes are in there if you read a lot of our reviews you would think that there was only one single player mode, um, whereas we've got two online modes in there we've got um, with Football Manager Touch as well um, which you get for free when you buy the PC or you can buy it separately on iOS and Android and um, again, with that, people don't actually realise that we're quite technical as a studio as well. So we have cross-play between PC, Mac, Linux, iOS and Android yeah. and used to have cross-play with, with Vita when we were releasing Vita SKUs, which isn't an easy thing to do, yeah. um, particularly not setting up one cloud system that can be used across all of those different platforms. Um, but we've, we've got that as well. So, um, so we're very busy constantly. Um, we typically will start working on the next game the day after the previous game comes out. There will have been some people who would have been working on features for the game that comes out in two years' time, um, because sometimes features take longer than a year. Um, This year we had all of our feature meetings in January, and our, our feature meetings involve going through every single idea that anyone in the studio has had, that have come through on our forums. We have a suggestions forum, um, which we've always got the the wider community involved with um, 
with the game and have been doing that since 1996 um, when we first set up forums. Um, ideas that have come from people inside football, real world things that happen because we have to make the game mm. applicable to the real world. And they all get put into a big database. We use Test Track. Um, we use Test Track for bugs. We use Test Track for features. We use Test Track for just about everything apart from recipes. Start using it for recipes, that'd be cool. Um, and we actually sit down for a month as a team and go through everything. And anyone in the studio is invited to those meetings from QA through comms to the devs to the research team. Um, anyone who wants to come can have uh, can come along and have their say. Um, and we vote on things to team priorities, we reject things, some things that we just say, yeah, we have to do have to do that and that all then goes back into a massive pool of features um, because we've got enough features for about three or four years worth of games mm -hmm. so we then have to decide what are the most important things and that that task really falls on me so I'm going through everything every year um, the stage that we're at, at the moment um, at the uh, kind of towards the end of March I, I would prefer that we were completely done with yeah. deciding what's going to be in the game um, but I put my dream feature set together and we are um, or we were early this week 14,500 man hours over <laughs> um, what we actually have time wise to do it so now the cutting process begins yeah. um, I think we've cut about 6,000 hours this week so far um, I'm waiting on some more numbers to come through from the production team before deciding we'll probably have to get rid of one or two of the the larger features because even when we're doing like one feature could end up having 250 children yep. to it because we've got the social media in the game we've got the news in the game we've got backroom advice in the game we've got all these things in the game that all link together like a jigsaw puzzle but different people work on different areas so you have to split the features out into into different things to make sure um that everything is covered. So when we were adding social media to the game last year, um, you actually look at the amount of social media that's in there. There's over 30,000 items of social media. There is more text in the social media that went in last year than there is in most games. Yeah. Um, we now have over 4 million words in the game, um, <laughs> which makes translation quite tough because yeah, yeah, of the, yeah, the yeah, cost yeah. of doing it becomes huge. How many huge. languages do you localise in? Um, officially via Steam there are 15. We have a few other languages as well that we have internally um, that we do and um, we're about to add another two with, um, with translations that Sega have actually taken care of uh, for doing simplified and traditional. Chinese. So I imagine you probably have some fan translations out there as well. Um, yeah, and, and we have community translations mm. via Steam. We've released tools specifically to allow people to do it easily. Um, so there are unofficial translations for half a dozen odd languages. Some are easier than others <laughs> um, because right to left text with yeah. a game like ours is, yes. is quite tough. And the tables always work in different, the same way in different languages. They do. They just look badly formatted, um, and, and that's that's something that we actually need to fix in the long term. So, because um, it's it's not right the way it is at the moment. 
Yeah. Now, talking about your, your community, you mentioned there, and like the, the audience you have, um, you know, the, these are a lot of the, the people who, who play this. And I, you know, I know quite a few examples of this are people who play football manager and nothing else, mm. you know, but they will play it like a hardcore gamer plays, you know, Destiny or World of Warcraft or any MMO or anything like that. You know, they are putting in t- dozens of hours every week and they buy every game and it's all they use their laptop for or they use their PC for. So you're, you're probably dealing with like the, the whole long tail service based model long before the whole freemium thing, right? Yeah, raise up. You, you've got to get keep people interested for a whole year before the next one comes out. That yeah. must really ramp up the pressure. Well, our, our average playtime a year is 240 hours. <laughs> um, most, and, and these figures might not all correlate, all right, because because there are some some oddities in there. But with with the people who are playing it for the whole year, they average four hours a day wow. for the for the real hardcore. So we've got some people who play for thousands and thousands of hours a year. But if you actually look at the Steam, um, Steam have some stats that are on there if you can find them that shows the um, amount of concurrent the peak concurrent users per day we typically have three games in the top 20 mm. there which are our latest game and the previous two games so our audience don't buy the game well some of our audience do buy the game every year but not all of our audience buy the game mm. every year so it's actually not a case of keeping them entertained for a year it's keeping them entertained for two or three and do you update yes. databases for previous games no. so we, we do one update with the January transfer update but there are other people who do unofficial yeah. updates that, that do keep them updated. But some people just really like their save and, and <laughs> will carry on playing it. So, you know, the data updates are only applicable when you start a new game because as soon as you press the continue button, your game is unique. Yeah. Um, there, there is nothing on rails. There is nothing predetermined inside the game. Yeah. Um, the AI and the decisions that you make and the decisions that other managers make or that players make or injuries happen and um, they all affect the outcome of, of every game the, the whole premise of, of what we started doing and, and this was Oliver and Paul Collier who were the, the founders of the studio and they made the first game in their bedroom and they were school kids this was their premise that we kept on going all the way through is that it needs to be a living breathing world so the computer doesn't actually care whether you're making the decision or whether it's the AI making the decision. You have the same options that the AI has. So the AI will be looking through all the processes that you go through. They're doing the same processes with every manager. Every manager has their own character. Every player has their own character. Um, So that's why you can play the game for... 40, 50, 60, 70 seasons and still be getting fun out of it. You won't know the players because they're not real players um, anymore. They become regenerated or new gens as we call them, newly generated players. The database stays relatively constant for the amount of good players and bad players. But um, but there's, you know, there are still still a large group of people playing Championship Manager 102. Um, And if they're getting fun out of it, that's great. It's, if, if you look, I, I think as an industry, we, we tend to not look that much at other creative industries. But if I go back to watch The Matrix, yeah. it's still a great film. Yeah, yeah. If I go back and listen to a Beatles record or a Stones record or 
a lot of the psychedelic nonsense that I like from from the sixties and seventies. They they still sound like great records now. Yeah. So better than the stuff that's on now. So. In some cases, yeah. So so I. There are some absolute classic games out there that that people just don't get to play yeah. because mm-hmm. they don't work on most formats yeah. anymore. Some of my favourite games of all time were made on the Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. There was a game called Starquake yeah. Um, yeah, that was well, published yeah. by Bubble Bus, made by a guy called Steve Crow, yeah. which took what Ultimate Play the game were doing and actually turned it up to 11, as Spinal Tap would say. It's just <laughs> an absolutely phenomenal game. And most people will never have heard of that, yeah. will never have had a chance to play it. I think I vaguely remember that. Is it one that's sort of a bit like Elite? Is that that? No, it's not like Elite. It's um, it was more like Sable Wolf, that that kind of oh, game. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of. But yeah. but set up uh, set in set in space, so two D rolling, um, rolling platformer, but on a big maze. So you know, it wasn't necessarily rolling right or left. It was rolling up and down as well, yeah. um, and. Yeah, it was it's just a superb game. Yeah, no, um, it's still it's still holds some of my greatest games at that platform spectrum. Absolutely fantastic, some of it. Um, so yeah, so when we're making games, we're trying to make games that are that are timeless, really, and that people can play. Do you find it hard to, to to make them distinct when you're making the same game with the you know a different number at the end of a year, and you say, oh yeah, no, that was a year that we did that really right, or you know that was that that was yeah that one was great. And we we maybe should have carried on that idea that we left behind. I think it's it's become harder for us in the last few years because um, people may turn around now. We've we've seen it in quite a few of the reviews this year. Of you know, yes, there's lots of new stuff in there, but there's nothing massive new. Whereas for me, social media was was a massive addition. Um, but there isn't that much left for us to add. Yeah. There isn't much stuff, if anything, that's happening in football that we don't already have in the game, whereas we have had big things that we're missing. So now um, a lot of it is about making things better. So how do we make training better? How do we make tactics better? How do we make the game look better? Um, How do we make the AI better? But people aren't gonna know that the AI is better by playing the game for a week or two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we have such long play times, it's the long term that's very important. And you know, with, with the game modes as well, we've added significant game modes in the last couple of years that a lot of people just haven't played. Yeah. Um, and I think Fantasy Draft is going to become a key game mode for us moving forward. Yeah. I think you know that's something that's very important to us in the long term. And certainly in this streaming age as well, um, that's the mode that we believe is streamable um, and could become an eSport. Could. We're not sitting here saying, it is an eSport. But we've recently had people um, playing playing a network game of FM and broadcasting it, um, a couple of football journalists, and a betting company started taking bets on one of the games which I actually had a big problem with I I didn't like that at all but I think that shows how far we are in the mainstream in football and football culture and how we are part of that culture Um, and again as I mentioned earlier more than the gaming culture um, there are a lot of a, a lot of Gamers will tell you know why are you playing that spreadsheet and you know yes there are a lot of numbers in the game but 
there are also a lot of numbers in the games that you're playing as yeah, well. Yeah, they just hide them yeah. behind a HUD, whereas for us, yeah. it's very important I'm, that I'm people are able to see that. So I've got no yeah. problem with spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess that's the problem, though. Like, like you said, like, there, there are numbers in so many games. Even like, like Destiny is, is a numbers game because you're yeah. just shooting things until the numbers yeah. go down. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like, where make is your like, number go up, make their number go down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a bit quadrilateral equation. We have a lot more numbers. You have more, even more numbers. Like, you guys, I guess, can't. You don't have the advantage of ooh look shiny graphics to d- distract from the numbers because looking at things like okay, like things like FIFA Pro Evo etc. They can make a kind of a big milestone release by hey brand new engine, brand new graphics, new motion capture, new performance capture. You're still presenting a lot of information on the screen. We are, and there are only like, new font. That's we, not really going to excite people. But we we do huge amounts of motion capture every year working with Creative Assembly. Mm. Um, you know, CA have got their own mocap studio. And their assist studio, so it'd be pretty bonkers for us to not book time no, in there. Um, so last year, I'm at, I can't remember exactly how many there were, but I'm pretty sure there were over a thousand new animations last year, well. maybe in fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we show the game from quite wide camera angles and far back camera angles because you need to actually see what's going on on the whole pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas FIFA and PES are a lot more zoomed in. Now, both of those are graphically ahead of where we are, mm. um, graphics and animation-wise. But they also don't have the AI going on that we have going no. on in the game. So we have every single player on the pitch makes a decision every one-eighth of a second. Wow. Um, if you play a 90-minute game of FIFA or Pro Evolution, you're going to end up with an absolutely ridiculous scoreline. Yeah. because they're shrunken down to be five minute games whereas yeah. we're simulating full 90 minute matches so every one eighth of a second every player makes a decision for 90 plus minutes because of injury time as well is that the same um, on mobile as well or um, on tablet it is yeah. on mobile no it's, it's different on there we have a different match engine on mobile yeah. um, and doing all the animations for all of that stuff is is huge but our engine, um, our graphics engine at the moment is creaking a little bit, and there will be changes um, to that. There will be changes to the animation systems that we use. We've, we've changed over the last couple of years anyway. Um, our consumer probably won't care though if we announce that we've got a new graphics engine and a new animation engine. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something for the games press that the games press will really like. But I was surprised last year when FIFA did their Frostbite trailer, but they didn't really explain what Frostbite was, so mm-hmm. it was just a cool buzzword. So may- maybe we need to come up with a cool name. There's a happy brand engine. manager at EA somewhere, though, isn't there? Just going, Absolutely. Yeah, message, message to you. But no, I, th- I think what both FIFA and PES are doing is, is fantastic, and they are raising the bar massively on the graphical side of things, which does spur us on a little bit. But we don't really look at those as our target. We look at football on TV yeah. as our target. We're we're looking at the real life and what's going on there. So, so that's what we're striving for, and it is it is a focus um, for one particular team mm-hmm. in the studio. So we're broken up into different teams. So we have the the match engine team, which is the match engine and match view. We have the um, rule groups and finances team who take all the real life rules from all over the world and try and create a financial model that reflects the real world as well. Um, We have our gameplay stroke AI team. We have a UI team. We have our platform team. 
and there will be people who will turn around, um, particularly people from, um, particularly the gamers will turn around and go, why don't you just focus everything on the 3D to make it look better? And you're like, because AI experts working on graphics doesn't yeah. work. You know, it's it's like asking a, a chef to go and run a piece of machinery. Mm. They're, they're, they're not going to know how to do it because they haven't had the training to do that. You're going to get complaints now from graphic engineers comparing them to machinists and from AI <laughs> workers comparing them to chefs. But it, I'm, I'm just using examples of real world jobs um, <laughs> where you know people people are trained to do, yeah, to do what they yeah, do yeah. and they're, they're experts in, in what they're experts in. You know, if you gave me a computer and said go and program some AI, I'd, I'd be able to do it. It would be awful. Um, <laughs> So, what would be the point? Yeah. You know, we've we've got experts to do that. You, you've mentioned the AI a few times, and obviously that's quite core to the the replayability, the the long term value of it, um, and the the fact that it's making an AI like decision every eighth of a second. But is it difficult to kind of communicate that that is being done? For want of a better word, fairly. Because I imagine <laughs> I've, I've, I've followed your Twitter feed. I know you get a lot of <laughs> let's call it feedback on the. <laughs> <laughs> The veracity of some of the uh, the behind-the-scenes behaviour. People don't like losing. Yeah. Okay. Um, football is a game where even the best teams can lose. They can be nullified by the opposition. Um, they can have an off day. The opposition can have an incredible day. And you know, Watford beat Arsenal earlier in the season when Arsenal were on a good run, and we were on a really bad run. And it happens in football. Um, and we have to take that into account in the game. So there are definitely people out there who don't like to lose. Um, there are people out there who don't understand that we are basing things on the real world. Therefore, people can have off days. Um, referees can make mistakes. It, it happens. Yeah. Um, so we're probably less um, formulaic than a lot of games that there are that there are out there with most games there is a way to win um, a lot of it is skill based but there are also other things that you can do to help you to help you win that you can learn um, with FM you're not going to win every week it's not going to happen yeah. because you're dealing with human emotion human artificial intelligence inside the game so um, you are going to make mistakes because no one, no one knows what the opposition manager is going to do. You you get to see their starting lineup, but you don't get to see their exact tactics. If you've scouted them well enough, then you're going to have a good indication of what they've done in the last few games. But they'll also be scouting you, so they could be changing what they do mm. to play you to try and beat you. And um. And yeah, it does lead to some interesting conversations. Um, it leads to some interesting Steam reviews as well, yeah, yeah. where people will steam in and go, oh, I've lost the game, and then they calm down 15 minutes later, but they don't delete the review. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just the nature of what we do. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I mean, we get less nonsense from certain other sides of things. Um, you know, we are very much an equal opportunities employer and we have people of every faith every skin colour, every sex in the studio, everyone gets treated the same and we haven't had the uh, 
the attacks that some studios have had for daring to employ females. I mean, how dare anyone have a female working on a computer game? It's shocking behaviour. You know, we don't get those kinds of ridiculous attacks, although I might think now if any of them listen to the podcast because I've called them ridiculous. Um, (laughs) Someone out there sitting there going, challenge accepted. Fine, bring it on. I'm so used to it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's water off a duck's back. But that annoys me that that people, like we're now veering off on a tangent, but like that annoys me that that people in the industry are having to become used to it, of of taking such abuse online over the, the tiniest things. We were talking about this downstairs. Um, obviously, there's the, the recent Mass Effect Andromeda um, uh, you know, incident where like people have, have added two and two to make five billion, um, and, and that that happens constantly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've I've seen that firsthand with a, a colleague of mine. I won't go into details, but people were drawing, um, like like connecting dots in their past that are absolutely not connected at all, mm. and seemed like like defi- you know, definitively saying right, this means. They need, they deserve this abuse, and that, that's not the well, case. If, like, if you look at the stuff that went on, I mean, it, it was documented on um, on the GR.biz website. I had death threats yes. last year over over not having a Chinese localization in the game, and we um, announced on Steam yesterday that we do have Chinese localization. And the first response is ha ha, because they seem to have it in their head that I have an issue. Right. Um, I've been accused of being racist towards a country that I visited four or five times last year and had a great time that we've released an MMO specifically for that country yeah. um, I'm racist towards them and it, and it all came about They um, there was a, a decision made by a particular Chinese forum that I had promised that if we sold 25,000 copies of FM70, uh, FM16 in China we would do a Chinese translation mm. I'd never said anything like that. In 2011, I was asked a question on Twitter of how many copies of Football Manager 2012 do we need to sell in China to have a translation for FM 2013 in Chinese? And the answer at that point, based on the price that we were selling the game for in China, the revenue that we would do do to get and the amount of text in the game was 25,000. In Turkey, it was 30,000. And those those conversations were happening at the same time. In Brazil, it was 30,000. Turkey and Brazil both sold 30,000 copies of the game. Therefore, we did the translations. In China, we sold nowhere near the 25,000. We didn't do a translation. Apparently, according to the people on this forum, that tweet was applicable to FM16 as well, even though there is way more text in there now. We're selling the game at different pricing, etc., etc. No one had ever asked how many copies of FM16 do we no, need to sell. just assume that things don't change. Like it just... Plus, they were getting data from Steam Spy. Mm. Steam Spy, with a game like ours, gives you half the picture, because half of our sales are still on boxes, mm. or just under half our sales are still on boxes. Steam Spy doesn't account for that, and it has a disclaimer on there that it doesn't count for that. Yeah. So people are looking at the Steam figures and saying, well, we sell more games in China than we do in Turkey. Therefore, why have Turkey got a translation and we don't? But the reality is, in Turkey, the majority of our sales are on box, yeah. are in boxes. Mm. So they don't count towards that yeah um so there was a load of misinformation and the people on this forum didn't care that there was a load of misinformation out there 
So I decided that we hadn't done a Chinese translation because I must be racist. I've worked with anti-racism charities for 20 years. Yeah. You know, kick it out, kick racism out of football, as it was called, had a splash screen in our game in the 90s yeah. when we were trying to promote that. Um, my parents are both from Africa. My mum was an anti-apartheid protester in South Africa who basically had to leave the country. I, I, I'm... It's ridiculous that I even have to talk about justifying it. Mm. Um, but apparently, I'm racist, um, anti-Chinese, don't want the Chinese language in there at all. I'd love the Chinese language to be in the game. be great, but it has to pay for itself. Mm. Yeah, um, and the way that I look at translations when we're doing them, and the way that I work out how many games we need to sell, is we actually look at it as being 50% of the revenue if 50% of the revenue in a country can cover the cost of the translation, then we'll do it mm. for that year. 50%. So that leaves us with no margin, no profit at all. In some, in some instances, it's been as high as 75% of the revenue coming in. Looking at doing the China stuff, we're looking at 200% of the revenue. So you look at that on a raw business level and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Now... There are future opportunities in China that Sega are very keen on. So Sega have decided that it does make sense um, to do the translations midpoint rather than doing them specifically for FM18, which is what we were looking at doing. And I've supported them in that decision. Um, but again, you know, the, why let the facts get in the way of a much more fun story yeah. um, so you know it's been quite harrowing there was only only one of the death threats actually affected me um, which is one that brought my family into it the other death threats again you, you say this is ridiculous but I'm used to it yeah. I'm used to getting death threats over a video game I used when I worked in the music industry I used to get death threats over rejecting someone's demo um, so, so it's not something new but it's something that's more public now because of social media. Yeah. And the, the easy thing for me to do would be to shut down my social media accounts. But there's 70,000 people following me on Twitter. They must... They must... Some of them must want to hear what I've got to say or be interested in, you, you in what we're doing. The majority of them aren't those sort of people. No, 99.9% of them are awesome. Yeah. Awesome, lovely people. Um, that I have good conversations with um, and respect and value their opinion and then you get probably I probably have to deal with a dozen a month not not a dozen death threats but a dozen dif difficult tweets and sometimes you know the, the PR advice to me is ignore them sometimes I do yeah. Sometimes I mute them so I never hear from them again. You know what? Some, 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 sometimes, sometimes ignoring them also doesn't help. Like I, I, I wrote a piece. Um, it was just a news story about this sort of issue. So I'm just I'm the third party observer. I'm a journalist. I'm just writing this story about this has happened. I have not put any of my own opinion into it. It's just a straight news story, and maybe some of the ways I worded something like like someone took offence to it, and then someone started um, tweeting. At myself and my publication saying oh this person thinks it's a bit of a laugh to 
you know, abuse people and you know things that people should be, and start putting well, like, quoting me as if I'd said these things. I had said nothing, and I didn't respond on Twitter at all, and it just ramped up because I wasn't responding. And yeah. it's like so. It, it, it's kind of like the whole. It sounds silly, but like the whole playground thing of oh, when your parents tell you just ignore the bullies, they'll go away. They don't. Oh, no, no. I, they so, don't. so I come home with broken notes. <laughs> I don't deal well with bullies, and I stand up to bullies, and I always have done. Um, I, I grew up in an area um, where I was born Jewish. I don't personally believe in in religion, but I was I was born Jewish. Um, and had a um, had a music scholarship to a private school, um, and I grew up in an estate outside Watford where um, the National Front got their deposit back in the Thatcher election, and they didn't bother taking the swastikas down at the local station, the swastika graffiti. Um, I've been very used to standing up to people since I was quite young, um, and I do so. Um, so the bullying side of things, I I deal with how I deal with it. It's more people that are going ridiculously over the top. Um, I don't think see people giving you death threats as being bullies. I see people giving you death threats as actually having issues that they need to sort out yeah. themselves. So yeah. that there isn't much point responding to those people because you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, is it worth getting the police involved in those things? Do you think? Is it does that escalate stuff? Does it like justify what they're doing? I mean, some of these people want attention, right? I yeah, some of them want attention. Um, I have only once reported um, stuff to the police um, that happened on Twitter, and actually no, twice. Um, one was one wasn't on Twitter. One was we had a competition um, to put yourself in the game, um, and someone sent some Peter Phillip photos in wow um so that got reported to the police um and there was one incident which was a credible threat of physical violence from someone who actually lived very close to me wonderful um and that one got reported to the police as well just purely from a protection perspective um the stuff from china there's no point reporting that to the police um i had a death threat a few years ago from uruguay which you wouldn't I don't know what whether there's an age rating on the podcast, but I couldn't go down there anyway. Um, and and that one, um, that one, I actually laughed off. He wanted to do some unspeakable things to my mother, whilst forcing me to watch. Um, to which I just responded, "Mate, you haven't met my mum. You wouldn't want to go there." Um, so sometimes you deal with it that way, but the the volume of it has become so much more over the last few years for yeah. for all of us that that the ignoring it factor has to come into play now because otherwise you're just going to spend your whole time doing it and mm. my responsibility is actually making the best computer games that we can possibly make for our um, for our players to enjoy, for us to enjoy and I'd rather spend time doing that than replying to um, to people who, a lot of words you could use there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, and I, I don't really want to use any of them, but yeah. to people who just, for whatever reason, think that they can say anything to anyone. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, let's move on to much simpler, brighter and less contentious issues and talk about Brexit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, we, did we not know that was going to explode in the way that you we did? Got, so we've got a week now, week week today. Yeah. Gets, gets, uh, Swifty gets signed. Um I think it was. Uh, I think it was a great decision to put it in the game. I'll say that now. I think that was. I think it was a fantastic thing to do. I think. I think it is. It is a political statement. I don't think there's there's any getting away from that. I don't think it's a politically partisan statement. What you did, you just said this is what's going to happen. We said these are the choices. These are these are the things that could happen because of Brexit, and it's stuff that I'd actually detailed, or a lot of it was stuff that I detailed before the election. I did a, a blog on LinkedIn. Um, speaking about how it was going to affect the games industry and how it could affect football. Mm. But when the decision uh, when the decision was made, when the vote happened, um, I sat down and spent a weekend really thinking about how it's going to affect football because we have to. We have to think about everything in, in the world that's going on. Yeah. We put it in the game. It was um, both political and non-political because the way that we did it was there are options there that nothing changes there there was an option there for a soft Brexit and freedom of movement but I spent a lot of time talking to politicians talking to academics um, talking to people inside football who really hadn't thought about any of the consequences Um, Baroness Brady at West Ham had the Premier League had very most other people hadn't thought about how it was going to affect them to try and work out what the percentage chances were and I was happy with how we shipped it in the game I'm happier with how it was in the patch because we um, we made some tweaks that actually make it harsher but all of the scenarios that we've got in there no, no one inside football has discussed any scenario with me apart from the ones that are in there already um, and no politician has Either and the the strange thing was, you know, we announced it and we deliberately placed it in one place. It wasn't part of the new features announcement. We placed it with one newspaper. What we weren't expecting was for Marina Hyde at the Guardian half an hour after it went live to be retweeting the Telegraph. That's something that we didn't expect to happen. We didn't expect the BBC to pick up in, in the way that it did. But it transpired that, you know, when I'm sitting there about to do the daily politics, which is just bonkers, um, one of the producers is sitting there and went, no one else is talking about this in the way that you've done. No one else has actually laid it out on the line of these are all the different options, that these are all the different things that could happen. Yeah. And I find that odd because I'd sent an email round to the team directly after the vote happened going, right, so... These are all the different things that could happen now. These are all the things that we're thinking about. If there's something that you don't think we're thinking about, please let us know. And this is what we're going to try and get out of it. But these are the things that we have to take into account. And, you know, you do that so that people feel that you're thinking about it because you are. You have to be. Any business has to be thinking about it. Um, You know, what happens to you? to your sister site you're a gamer does it have to become yeah. UK gamer moving forward it, it, it's or it, even England gamer England gamer well yeah um, but but yeah I mean some of the stuff from that um, there's never going to be another Scottish referendum it's ridiculous that no one's even going to suggest there's going to be a Scottish referendum 
There won't be any changes. Of course, there's going to be freedom of movement for everyone. Well, you know, the Lord's tried to make sure that just people living here were allowed to stay, and that got rebuffed. Independent individual industries trying to get make exempt from it. You know, London uh, suggested people saying, "Oh, well, let's let's just count London out of that, and we'll just we'll just those laws won't apply to London." I'm not sure that's going to fly. Well, it's not (laughs) going to fly. the Irish border situation still isn't sorted, so we had to have that in there. Um, and working out the best systems. Um, Do you regret not doing it the be year, year before the referendum? Maybe, maybe no. people may think about it a little bit more. No, because I don't think... Well, I, because we'd spoken about this before anyway, I'm, I've got a clear conscience on that side of things. And um, people weren't reading up about it. People, people voted the way that they wanted to vote. And... You know, I've I've never spoken publicly about whether I voted remain or or leave, and I won't because yeah. it's actually none of anyone else's business. Yeah, yeah. I made my decision to vote based on reading everything I possibly could. A lot of other people made the the opposite decision to me based on everything that yeah. they read. Um, lots of people voted without reading. Lots of people made a protest vote against Cameron for different reasons. Um, but it, it, it is what it is. It's happened, so it had to be part of the game. And because we try and simulate the real world, and the the, the someone the other the other day, I mean, there's there's one guy in particular on Twitter who rants and raves about it constantly. In any conversation we're having on Twitter, he just steams in with, "Yeah, you should not put it in the game. It's wrong that it's in the game." And he was like, "But you can't predict the future." And we're just sitting there going. About, we're it? just sitting there going. <laughs> what What have we been doing the last twenty years? You know, what well, we've built our reputation on the fact that we predict how good footballers are going to become in the future yeah. and what's going to happen in the future. People tell stories about what happens in Football Manager in twenty one fifty. It's been our whole reason for being yeah. is predicting the future and simulating this stuff. So, um. So I'm proud that we did it. I think it's the right thing that we did it. Um, I think we've educated people a little bit with what we did, with the way that we set it out, which is awesome. Um, And the fact that I've had to present it to more than 20 MPs so far, and I'm going to a round table with a state minister to discuss it in a couple of weeks, that I've spoken to every football organisation about it. Um, I've spoken to the FA about it, I was going to the Home Office about it um, and whether it's influencing things or whether people were just thinking exactly the same thing, I'm not sure but as I said, the fact that no one is bringing up any scenario that we don't already have in the game yeah. um, shows that we, we we did a good job yeah, yeah. on what we were trying to do um, so I feel sorry for some people who feel that their save has been ruined because work permits are so bad to get, but you know what? I've got exactly the same situation in mind, and it is a possibility, and not only is it a possibility, I think for some leagues it's going to be a reality. Um, I think different leagues may end up with different different setups, Um, but you're not going to be able to bring that 18-year-old Oh, that seventeen-year-old from Spain, over anymore. Yeah. Um, 
increasingly with other situations, you know, you might find that half your team got, can't go to play a game in America, or you know. Yeah, well, we're we're getting, um, yeah, you know, that's that's definitely a possibility that that we will need to look at this year, um, and it is affecting games development as well. I think if you course, talk yeah, if yeah. you talk to any studio, there are less any studio based in the UK, there are less people. From Europe, applying for jobs yeah. in the UK well, at the, the moment the because UK, of the uncertainty. The other week, they said sixty percent of UK studios are considering partial or total relocation to somebody else, somewhere else, inside or outside of the EU, because of the result. And that's insane, absolutely crazy. I think sixty percent. I think the number of people considering it is different to the amount of people who are going to end up doing yes, of it. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Because any uncertainty is bad for any industry. Completely, but any any development studio that is not thinking about the possibilities of what they may need to do yeah, absolutely. needs to have a good look at themselves. Yeah. Um, now, the 40% who aren't considering it may have considered it and decided that, that they're not going to do it. Um, but, but yeah, they, it could have... It, it's already having impact on the, on the people yeah. applying. And that's... That's possibly the biggest problem. Once it's all sorted, it's all sorted. But yes, we triggered Article 50. The negotiation is meant to now take two years. It could take less than that. It could take a lot longer than that. It could not happen at all. And if it doesn't happen at all, then the UK can actually set whatever rules they want to. They just might not be replicated. So it could be that we turn around to people in Europe and say, yeah, anyone is Europeans allowed in without it being the other way which is bad for kids not being able to go to university in other countries um, but with all of these things you have to be thinking about every positive and every negative and a lot of running a business is about that a lot of running a business is is thinking about the worst case scenario um, and trying to ensure that the worst case scenario doesn't become reality We've not done very well at that over the last six months as a as a as a human race. I don't think <laughs> it's it's certainly been a strange year. Yeah, it has. Well, let's um, just just go back to a couple of things you you touched on there to, to combine. I'm talking about the you know the fact that you the business is built on uh, accurately predicting the future. You know the 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 veracity of your data is you know the absolute keystone of, of everything that you do. You know knowing that um, it's so well researched that it has played out. So accurately in so many so many ways has you know been a real kind of credit to the game and and has has been one of the things that's really kind of um, pushed it into such prominence I think um, and you you mentioned earlier you sort of briefly touched on the idea of um, of sort of gambling and using it pr- to predict stuff and things like that and you know we see hear a lot of stories about professionals in the game using it you know like well we 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 have thirteen hundred footballers who beta testers mm. for us yeah so I have personal email addresses for all of them from top class international superstars down to some um, some non-league players um, in different countries around the world and we get a lot of feedback from them working with a lot of agents working with a lot of football clubs yeah. um, and we we don't reveal who we work with ever yeah. um, and we're not going to because um, because you don't really need to but there are a lot of clubs that um, 
that utilise our data and why not? It's the best reference tool out there. We've got 1,300 scouts around the world researching 650,000 players and staff, although some of those players and staff are retired. Um, so why not use it as a reference tool? No club would ever buy a player, well, actually, no club should ever buy a player <laughs> directly off their data. They should go and watch them first. Yeah. But strange things happen in football. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, it's not just the player data, though. It's some of the historical data, such as injury data. Yeah. Yeah. We've got more injury data than everyone else, and our injury data isn't complete by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still better... Than, than what other people have things like is a player left footed or right footed um, because with a lot of the other data sources in football it relies on players playing first team football whereas we're looking at the under 18s we're looking at the under 23s and building up the information there so we don't always get it right um, but we've got a 99% plus strike rate of predicting how good a player is, is going to get um, do you ever get it contested by players? Do you ever get an oh, yeah, email yeah. saying, like, excuse me, what do you mean 13 for... Players agents? players and agents. Players yeah. players will say stuff and always put LOL at the end of it to make <laughs> out they're joking, but you know that they're not. Um, yeah. I did actually get two players to have a race once um, and film it on video and send that through to me because I didn't believe what they were saying. They were actually right, nice. so I changed yeah. it on that basis. Um, I read a story the other day about um, when they made the first, I think it was the NHL hockey game and one of the programmers said there was a particular player who played for um, the Maple Leafs I think who was a real bruiser he was literally just brought on just to get into fights with people and take them out of the game knock the crap out of someone he was just an absolute beast of a man No, never scored a goal never got an assist anything like that just an absolute monster and they gave him a naught for, for intelligence and they were at a launch party and uh, suddenly this guy felt a tap on the shoulder and he was the chief database programmer, and he turned around and it was this bloke, this you know, six foot eight, no yep. teeth, absolute monster, and he just just said, he gave me a note for intelligence, and he said, this guy said he just absolutely collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, they changed the name of that um, that statistic from intelligence to uh, to uh, kind of you know field control or something, you know, something a little bit less directly insulting. <laughs> there are there are lots of lots of fields that we have that are hidden <coughs> data all of our mental stats yeah. pretty much are hidden um, but yeah players complain um, we've had agents try to bribe us mm-hmm. to make their players better yeah. um, which I'm, I'm bribable so good good luck with that <laughs> um, and yeah there's all all kinds of um, shenanigans players complain about it all the time and there's there's one time I've actually apologised to a player um, which was a player who I've, I've actually told this story so so I can say his name it's, um, with Harry Kane um, he had quite a bad loan spell and the um, the researcher who was watching him on loan had, had moved his stats down significantly um, and then he started playing first team for, for Spurs and you know got massively into his stride and um, he's played the game in the past so uh, I met him at the London Football Awards just went up to him and said I'm really sorry <laughs> we've got your stats wrong you're going to have the biggest upswing between an actual release version of the game and um, and a, a data update in, in the history of the game um, and he was alright about it some <laughs> some players aren't there, there are some players out there who really do think that they are at the level of Messi and Ronaldo yeah. when 
when there's a reason why they're playing in League One. Um, so there's a lot of egos in the sport. Right? There are definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it gets brought up all the time, not just players but by coaches as well. Yeah. Um, we get kit men constantly asking if they can be in the game. Um, and it's like what do you actually do um, although player liaison officers are in there now so um, so some kit men will, will go in, they'll, they'll go in at some point just to get them off my back um, but it, it's it's nice to uh, it's both nice and really odd actually to be influencing the sport that you're trying to simulate yeah, um, the, it, it's very much Ten years ago, it was laughed at. Even the possibility was laughed at. And we still get... You know, we sponsor Transfer Deadline Day on Sky Sports and they use our data. Mm-hmm. And some of the ex-players... Um, I, I know a few of the the players that are now on Sky Sports and a couple of them call it the walk of shame because they have to go and present this data that they just don't understand because it wasn't there in their days, whereas others are happy to do it. But you still, every time our logo flashes up on Transfer Deadline Day, every time our data's used, you'll get someone on Twitter going, why are you using data from a computer game? And Sky just replied back going, because football clubs do. Yeah. Yeah, So, oh. Even if you don't accept it's accurate, it's accurate to predict what the football clubs are going to do because this is how they're making their decisions. Yeah, and you know, we, we do a lot of predictions for newspapers where they'll come to us and go, what if? Yeah. So here's a what if scenario. What if this person ends up managing the team? Or, um, you know, what's going to happen in the MLS playoffs? And I think it's the season, it might have been this season, the season before last, We act, the game actually accurately predicted um, who was going to get through every round of the MLS playoffs and the correct score and scorers in the final. It got the times wrong of the players, but we got the score and the score was right, which, wow. yeah, that, that was a bit of a freaky, freaky thing. I was sitting there going, okay, yeah, twilight zone. Um, How many seasons before Villa get back up into the Premiership then? Or is that, uh, that going to hurt me too much? Um, it depends whether you stick with your current manager or not. If you do, I think you've got a good shot next season. But... Um, one thing that we didn't predict is quite the amount of changes that he was going to make in the January window. Yeah. Um, I think they decided at that point that they probably weren't going to go up this season. So let's clear the decks and, and have a good shot at it next season, which it normally means that the manager's going to end up staying and is going to get given the long term. But um, you're far too big a team to be in the championship. But so are Sheffield Wednesday, so are Nottingham Forest. You know there are there are teams lower down as well, yeah. who are bigger teams than Watford, than Bournemouth, than um, than Leicester, who won the league last season. So um, it's a strange old sport. It is. Have you factored in yet how um, Peter Moore joining taking over Liverpool? Um, I th- I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah. You've got to a bigger fan, eh? Well, exactly. He's a massive massive fan of the club. He's done a superb job at, at EA over the years you don't hear people for for an executive at that level to have the reputation that he does amongst his fellow workers you don't hear a lot of people saying negative things towards him no, no. I don't know him I've, I, I've probably met Peter um, when he was at Sega many years ago when I would have been doing some soundtrack stuff for them at that point on, uh, on Dreamcast games Um so I would have met him at that point, but you know I I don't know him at all. But I I think it's great um, for us as an industry 
for someone from the games industry to be going and, and being chief executive of um, of a Premier League football club with the history yeah. that they have, um, I think shows how far the industry's come as well. That that business leaders from our industry are able to walk into positions mm. like that. I think is um, has opened a few people's eyes. Yeah. I presume you'd take that job at Watford if it was offered. Would you? Um, I wouldn't want Scott to leave our chief exec. He's, he's doing a fantastic job. Um, I get to talk to him regularly anyway, so uh, so would I want that job? Not at the moment. I'm very happy doing what I'm doing at the moment. Um, maybe when I'm in my fifties, who knows? Which is which is far too close. Um, but but no, at the moment I've got a, a job to do here and have the freedom. Um, thanks to our parent company I've got the freedom to be doing other bits and bobs as well yeah. um, in whether that be in the football industry whether it be um, in the film industry the documentary that we did and with um, with another project um, that we're doing at the moment which is very interesting but the contracts aren't signed yet so I can't talk about it <laughs> um, and I think that's going to actually be quite a big thing for us as a studio moving forwards as well is, is looking at ways we, we've already had a couple of books out, for example, and we're going to be looking to do more of that. And the documentary um, went down pretty well. Iceland moved the news for our documentary because we specified the time it had to be on, <laughs> which is very cool. Um, so we're able to do other things as well um, with with the brand and with the intelligence and data that we've got, um, which is fascinating for us. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. No problem. It's, uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll leave you to it. <laughs> You've got Thank you very much. On. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the meantime, obviously, as usual, you can find myself and Dan uh, offering news, insight, analysis, and all the usual at gamesindustry.biz. Mm-hmm.